Hello and welcome back to Movies On My Mind. I'm Rosie and today we are going to tackle Notting Hill 1999, which is one of my favourite years of movies to put on the podcast. Love it. If only I was alive in that time. Of course, it's directed by Roger Mitchell, written by Richard Curtis, famously. So today you will hear the wrath of Rosie as she discusses how her thoughts have changed, how her thoughts have altered on Richard Curtis. Hmm. If you don't know who he is, he is a guy who has written so many things within British culture. He's famous, obviously, for Notting Hill, About Time with Donald Gleeson and Rachel McAdams, Four Weddings and a Funeral, also with Hugh Grant, Love Actually, of course, and we all know the massive cast in that. So, how do I feel? I am thinking about doing Love Actually for Christmas, but I don't know anymore. I don't know what I feel about it. And today as well is a very unprepared episode by me. I haven't actually rewatched totally the whole of Notting Hill, so this is going to be really fun. I'm going to get my notes, actually. I don't even have them. I was going to improv the whole thing. Right, so I only got about halfway through, which is really bad. And also, I was going to try and maybe film bits of my episodes to put on, like, TikTok and stuff. However, I've not done that today because I have just gotten out of the shower and I am not looking my best. And I don't want to put it on the internet, so sorry. The TikToks are coming. Movies on my mind pod. Please follow it. And also my Instagram. Same name. Movies on my mind pod. And I'll be posting content, as I always do on my Instagram. Let's get started. So, what do I want to talk about? Well, let's talk about what the movie's actually about to start off with. I think that's pretty good. So, the film called Notting Hill stars Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts. I love Julia Roberts. Icon. Anyway, (laughs) what happens in it is Hugh Grant plays himself, as he always does, very finely. He plays a guy called William Thacker. I don't like that name, but it's called, he's called William Thacker, and he is a bookshop, travel bookshop owner. The bookshop is failing miserably, he's failing miserably, he is divorced, his life is pretty not very shiny, and he shares a flat with a crazy man who is really iconic, played by Risa Fans. What's his name? Spike. I got it. There you go, she's got, I'm so good at remembering this. Okay, anyway, so he's living his life, and then one day, a famous actor called... Anna Scott comes into his bookshop wanting to buy a book and he's like oh my god that's a famous person that's Anna Scott anyway fast forward and she buys some books and goes home he gives her one for free as you do (laughs) and then in the street he bumps into her and spills his orange juice all over her and she's not very impressed of course but she cannot be seen with orange juice on her white clean top so he invites her back to his place to clean up and he doesn't really know what to do because it's a famous person and he's freaking out. That was really detailed about that. But anyway, long story short, they basically fancy each other and it's about him trying to have a relationship with Julia Roberts, Anna Scott, who is a famous, famous person and he's just a random guy off the streets of London. Yeah, it just kind of, it shows their relationship and it shows his, he's got like some oddball friends which are absolute classic characters to have in a Richard Curtis film and it ends happily though, don't worry, this is a rom-com, you don't need to worry, it ends happily. They get together in the end. Spoiler! Sorry, how how far are we in? Five minutes and I've already spoiled it. So if you weren't familiar with the normal rom-com structure, then I've completely ruined the film for you. 
Okay, what am I gonna talk about? Okay, let's just talk about straight off the bat, the thing that I, that keeps me coming back to this film is the aesthetic. I'm sorry, but I am a sucker for that late 90s, early 2000s British aesthetic. I don't know what it is. Maybe because I was kind of born around that time and it just, I don't know, reminds me of when I didn't exist. I don't know. That's so bad. Sorry I said that. I'm really sorry. I don't know what I've I don't know what I'm on today, but I don't know what it is. I love it. The little like everything was filmed on film, so you can see the little crackles on screen. I love it. And then just the fashion, the whole like aesthetic, like as in like rooms being filled with things. Cause now everything's really minimalist because we're all poor. But back then it was just I just like all the stuff everywhere. I mean, I don't know what the economic situation was back then, but as far as I'm concerned, it was quite maximalist in how rooms were decorated and I miss it. I miss having the mess because I'm a little bit of a messy person, a little bit of a messy person. I like to be organised, but I also like mess. I'm chaotic but organised, but yeah. But even in like the flat that the characters live in, it's just disgusting I can't lie to you, there's that ironing board that's got a big burn hole in it. And, you know, it's just really messy, but there's loads of stuff everywhere. Like, his bookshop is just full of books everywhere. It's not done for, like, aesthetic, you know, you go in, it's nice, posh bookshop. It's just to shove as many books as you can in the bookshelf and sell them, which I I really like. I don't know why. Insane, I know. But there you go. I love the aesthetic. I think that aesthetic really helped the film. And it adds this kind of personal touch, a personal heart that Richard Curtis films often have. And yeah, I just, that's why I keep coming back to it. Not, I've got some thoughts about it, but (laughs) I don't know what it is. I think it is just that it feels quite, it's quite a comfort film, if that makes sense. Just for the aesthetic alone. And the music, I think as well, really adds to the film as well. It just kind of has this old, I don't know, everything again was quite bright and colourful. Um, in terms of the aesthetic as well so you do have this kind of nostalgic look on the past in these films and I don't think they ever intended necessarily for that but that's just what they've become which is great I'm not complaining at all but yeah definitely the aesthetic in this film I love it okay so what else are we gonna talk about oh I won't answer that. Okay, what have we got? Oh, right, okay, I'm just gonna talk about Hugh Grant for ages now. We're gonna talk about Hugh Grant already. Now, actually, I think a lot of the points in this film... (sighs) There is a really personal touch in the way of the actors acting and (laughs) the way the story is unfolded. It's very person-based, which I really love, actually. I think that... Oh, love, actually. Ew. (laughs) Why did I say that? Anyway, I really like that because as an actor... I would love to be in something that kind of focuses on character rather than big um, effects and big drama and high stakes. Obviously not saying the stakes on this film aren't high, but at the same time, they are kind of more normal. And I think this is really, really helped by the Hugh Grant character. Now, I love Hugh Grant, to be honest with you. He's a bit of an icon and his obviously his we're not forgetting his best role in Paddington 2 hands down I believe that's his best role he is so not like Hugh Grant in that it's unreal (laughs) which is why it's so great anyway I might be reviewing Paddington 2 another time but he always plays 
the same character, same very, very similar characters. Uh, the kind of the the nice guy, the guy who doesn't get the girls, the guy who is quite, he mumbles, he's a bit awkward. He's not very, he doesn't show off. He doesn't really fit into the society's views of an attractive man. He's just kind of doing his thing. And I think that the reason, obviously this is the reason why this film works so well, is because you have the major contrast between, and it's made even more major because Julia Roberts is American. It's such a great contrast between maybe the accents as well. Hugh Grant's quite posh, very RP, whereas Julia Roberts is there with her broad American. So it it does, but it doesn't do it in an alienating way, which I think is is really nice i think how they set up kind of like the meet cute thing i think again is really effective because i feel as if if they had made it into a massive deal then we would have been overwhelmed by american not saying american is bad but just saying that in a in a very in a film that begins with hugh grant's narration as many do i think that anna scott's character is entered into the world very well and obviously it helps it's set in london i think as well because of how kind of like how there's so many different people in one place it doesn't feel alien if that makes sense obviously if it was somewhere like where i'm from in like the middle of nowhere people would be like well, why is there an american here what's going on i'm scared get me out now whereas in london it's like oh cool just people and you know she comes into the bookshop is quite low-key and yeah I think that Anna Scott's character as well is often we see her in in interesting situations because I think that you know when we see her meeting these characters there is always that part of her that is like is anyone does anyone know I'm here does anyone know what I'm doing there's kind of this calculation and this self-consciousness to her actions and I think that really helps fit in with maybe like the British culture and how you know people here are a little bit awkward and already thinking about a million things at once. Hugh Grant's character, he's William Thacker, is very kind of like oddball. He's not like other guys. That annoys me. Oh, we're hot taken already. Now, I'm sorry. I love to play devil's advocate here. Uh, a bit too much sometimes. But personally, this is my personal viewpoint, of course. I'm not saying anyone else's is wrong. I'm not even saying mine's right, it's not, it's just me. I do get annoyed. I think I've just seen so many of his films and so many of these kind of films that I'm sick of it now. Like, he kind of annoys me in how mumbly and sorry for himself he is. Mm. I know it's sweet and there is a heart, but I just don't like to find it. Uh <laughs> And I think, right, okay, we're going to go deep now. We're going to go personal. My personal experience with this film. So I watched this film a long time ago. I'm saying when I was about 14, 15 years old. That's when I first probably watched this film. I had an, <laughs> I had a weird phase where I had a Richard Curtis phase. And I also had a Julia Roberts phase. And sometimes they kind of, they crossed over. And this film is the crossover of the two, of course. And I really enjoyed these films because they kind of opened my eyes to a different time. Obviously, because I'm not that old, I, it kind of, I don't know, I got to see what it was like before I existed. <laughs> why is that so dramatic? I don't know why I said that. And I really like the kind of witty, you know, the kind of, 
what is it this awkwardness this kind of mumbliness to the Richard Curtis universe I really enjoyed that and I I liked it anyway and as well in my Julia Roberts phase I just watched loads of her movies because she's very watchable her face is so animated and of course why would you not it's Julia Roberts so yeah when I first saw this film I was like this is amazing this is everything I've ever wanted in my life this is perfect 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 but now I look back on it and I don't enjoy this film as much and maybe that is why I am so annoyed I don't know why I I, maybe because the reason I see so many problems with this film now is I think because it doesn't equate to the time I watched it and getting even deeper I've actually I have actually really faced this problem quite recently where I'm going back to films that I watched in a different time when I was younger when I was when I was different and I'm not having the same response to them and some part of me is like what is wrong with you you love this film now you hate it and part of me is like yeah that's just because you're different and your preferences have changed and that's normal and yeah I am like really strangely I'm having that um kind of feeling come up quite a lot which is not helpful at all really (laughs) to be honest with you half these movies I know on this I've done on this podcast will have timed out in my brain by like next year (laughs) I don't know what it is but yeah I think it's that thing isn't it when it's like on TikTok when it's like what I would do to watch this for the first time again because when you first watch it you kind of have no expectation you watch it and you take it for what it is and whatever point you are in your life you take it for that so uh that's why I'm kind of feeling a bit weird about this film to be honest with you obviously I like it and I'm not saying I don't like it I think but I definitely now watch it for the aesthetic value and the nostalgic value rather than watching it for the actual story so a bit of personal history for you oh yeah another thing and I was going to add this to the Hugh Grant point but one thing I really noticed that I actually really liked was I was like why do we why does Hugh Grant come across as this type of guy like what is it that he does because to be honest with you he doesn't say too much and when he kind of delivers the lines they're not too special you know what I'm saying there's you know, there isn't anything in his line delivering that makes that, makes you think that, or, you know, obviously there will be, but not in a massive way. But I was like, I was watching it, and I think it's about his actions, and this film has a lot to do with his actions as a character, which I think is really interesting, because not all films, and I suppose it's down to the writing as well, not all films are written in a way in which you can see and as well acted there's not always room for it but like we see his character through his actions and I really like that because sometimes we kind of see the actions before we see his reaction which is really interesting because we kind of already know what he's going to do so we're kind of already on his side because we've just seen him do something that's like really human and real Again, that could be why people often, you know, say to you, Grant, you just play yourself over and over again. But he's kind of created this kind of persona that has tied himself to his work because because of all of this, you know, we have the actions, we have the speech. It's kind of backed up both times. But yeah, it was just one moment that I watched last night where um, he goes to the kitchen when Anna gets to his door and he likes, you know, tries to tidy the place up. And the things like he picks up and things he puts down and where he puts things. And I was just like, we don't need that. You know, we didn't need that. But we have it. And it actually works really well in terms of his character. 
I think if we didn't have him doing that, we wouldn't like him as much because he wouldn't be human. He'd be just a character in a film. And I think, again, as much as I have my thoughts about Richard Curtis, he is really good at that, like writing people in that way. I really like that. And there's other things he does. I mean, when he tries to get over that gate in that garden thing, he can't do it. And it really, again, emphasises this character that he has. Um, There's just loads of instances where he does things like that and it kind of makes him more real. And I like it as well when his actions are kind of backed up by his speech, um, especially when he goes to see her, but it ends up being like a press conference. The first time when he doesn't know he's in a press conference, he does that thing with horse and hound. And I think that's just so random but it to- totally makes sense for his character. <laughs> and there's kind of the deadpan-ness of Hugh Grant delivering those lines as well. It just makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, so I really like the kind of actions there and the stuff that he does. Yeah, he just comes out with the most craziest of things and it's just like, okay, cool, wasn't quite expecting that, but it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're going to talk about like the bigger picture in terms of like, we're going to get a bit paradoxical. So what I was kind of saying is that we have this, obviously this is a film we're watching and one of the characters in this film is a film star. So there are times where we're watching people in the cinema or we're watching the screen on a screen. We're watching a film that has a character in it that is on a film and we actually see them in a film, in a, in a film, which is crazy, which is an interesting paradox, which I think is another reason why this film is kind of fun because, you know, obviously you have to kind of portray two stories in one. That doesn't make any sense at all, but that kind of thing. And I also put here as well how it is every man's dream, isn't it? to go to the cinema and the person on the screen, the lead role played by a woman, is your girlfriend. Isn't that, isn't that a dream? And it is especially a dream for people who are like William Thacker, who is very awkward and he's interestingly awkwardly charming, um, which is... So I think there is kind of this paradoxical way of looking at this film. What I want to say is that I like the mixture of having the on-screen, on-screen stakes and then having that person being seen as a real person because we have the kind of authenticity left over from all the other characters, which is why Richard Curtis is a very great person to have to write this film particularly because his focus on people and we kind of see a film star but we see her as a human being interesting it talks about obviously you have the power of celebrity the stakes are usually about how other people are viewing her other people attacking her other people claiming her as their property there is an interesting paradox in the fact that yes a film star is romanticized as the person they are on screen because we even see our protagonist um he watches her on screen and therefore romanticizes her from being on screen Yet at the same time, she's an actor, so she's not actually who she is on screen. So he's taking those preconceived romanticizations about her and then projecting them onto her when he actually meets her. So in some ways, this film is about the kind of breaking down that barrier of that kind of larger-than-life romanticization of somebody that isn't true to then trying to meet with the real-life person inside that, which is nice. It's 
is sweet. However, there's obviously the danger of that romanticization um, either being cut short by the reality or it staying forever and some part of it obviously not being genuine. Interesting devil's advocate take there. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Obviously, the screen is where we go to feel emotions and stuff but the screen is also a desiring place as well so there is a danger of that in this story and i suppose it is kind of met and dealt with in some ways but in other ways it's kind of glossed over and the romanticization kind of carries on and turns into a love story for a rom-com so obviously you have to pick your audience here and be like is this going to be gritty or not and this is not a gritty version of the reality of that kind of situation. Yeah, it's kind of a nicer version. But what's interesting about this film and also about a lot of the Richard Curtis films is they often come from the male perspective. So obviously he's a man himself as a writer, but also if we talk about maybe About Time, About Time really does link to Notting Hill for me, coming from the male perspective. And also, of course, Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is Hugh Grant again. Four Weddings and a Funeral is probably my favourite Richard Curtis film, although I rewatched it and had some thoughts. So, I don't know, maybe I don't have a favourite anymore. <laughs> but obviously, like every film, I think they age, and they age well or they don't age well, and it's up to you to kind of decide which you want to... which you agree with. But yeah, so it comes from the male perspective... Therefore, this is kind of like a male story, which is, again, another reason why this film doesn't always sit with me as much as it used to, because I am now long, no longer a man. <laughs> that wasn't funny. But yeah, and also the screen in terms of directing, in terms of like how stories are portrayed, often the male gaze is preferred. So therefore, this film does come from like a bit of a male gazy point of view. And as well, we have as well little little kind of snippets of maybe society's expectations of romance and relationships. Obviously, this is of the time, of course, but they're not necessarily things that would sit well today if this film came out today. There are bits, there's obviously... One thing that stuck out to me is when he watches her in another film and she's really sad and it's like in black and white, of course, to emphasise that. But like she sits down and she's sad and then the man goes, you know what I was going to tell you? I was going to tell you that I want to marry you. And then her face lights up. And obviously they're watching it on a screen. So sometimes in film we can look at that kind of thing. Whatever's presented to us on the screen is kind of like exposition and especially when it's kind of more desiring because he's already met this person and there's kind of that thing going on we can see that as his projection the screen is his projection the screen will be his version of how he sees her her performances so potentially okay playing another devil's advocate obviously he sees her in that she doesn't come across as a good actor now she's a very celebrated one definitely in this film but that film does not portray her as being realistic or authentic and I think that's for a reason because in the Hugh Grant's character's mind he doesn't see her as that. He sees her as, well he should see her as a real person so her being a bad actor in that would make him not believe she's like that in real life but also we have that marriage thing going on. So he, the other man in it says you know I was going to tell you that I was going to marry you and then like her face lights up. And that just shows that society romanticises this idea of marriage. Which is interesting because if we think about his character, was divorced. 
So, strangely enough, he has not lost his idea of marriage. It's just been kind of, like, taken away from him. But he's not resentful about it. Which is interesting. But the fact that it's that particular scene that we see, obviously you could say that's foreshadowing of their relationship, but also it definitely shows how there is this expectation of action, of big gesture from a man to woo a woman. And you can go about that in many ways. That was an interesting thing I picked up because it's it's obviously, you know, an expectation and an expectation that our character will be well aware of considering he's already been married and it seems to affect him in that way so as well we can say that his intentions are purer than others due to his due to that kind of projection and I think actually that's a very interesting way of putting it because we don't doubt his intentions throughout the film because that's kind of the when that's the turning point when she when she um is found out by the photographers where she is she presumes that his intentions were therefore bad and she runs away but we know as an audience they're not but then it's never explicitly said which is really interesting i think we're made to trust the character all the way through and there are little moments like that that i just realized she's slow sometimes but little moments like that that really encapsulate that without saying it which is really interesting it was a bit of exposition that is needed very necessary in the film because otherwise we we could argue that his intentions were bad but i don't feel like i'm in a position to do that because there are many pieces of evidence that really do suggest otherwise so there's hope there's light at the end of the tunnel as well okay i yeah i said i wasn't gonna play devil's advocate but we're here but we can also say well, one thing I picked up and I pick up about a lot of Richard Curtis films is that he loves a bit of marriage. He loves a bit of marriage. It's marriage in all the films and it's kind of seen as, it's almost Shakespearean the way that it's, it's kind of romanticised and put on a pedestal. Well, it, it's not though in, in the same in the same way. It's interesting. It's seen as like a main goal already preconceived into the character's minds due to the society they live in, but it's not always the end goal. But it does remind me of Shakespeare just the way that it's always talked about and it's always there and I think when I was younger and I was watching these films I did think that marriage was a big it was more of a big deal than it actually is because of the way that it's presented in these films so I'm going to talk about Richard Curtis now since I just brought that up and I was today years old when I realized that Richard Curtis isn't British he's from New Zealand she's been living under a rock the whole time and I'm going to talk about his writing obviously I've talked about a lot of really good things about his writing in terms of how he talks about people how he presents people but he also has a formula and I'm, I think it's the formula for me that does get a little bit a little bit boring for me <laughs> obviously I respect I don't know I, I think it's just too nice and cringy for me for me now when I was younger I loved it but yeah no he's written so many different things and he's a really big staple in this country he has got an MBE I believe um, but he's written so many things. I don't know. I don't know how to describe some of his lines now. They just don't do anything for me. And I'm just like, that's a very Richard Curtis line. But I don't find it funny. That's it. Maybe I don't find it funny anymore. Not saying I don't at all. But like, I wouldn't laugh my socks off at his films. And I don't know whether I'd cry as much anymore. So maybe that is just my downward spiral into being heartless. I don't know. So sorry about that so i'm gonna move on to talk about 
Okay, first I'm going to talk about love and self-consciousness. There's a great self-consciousness to love in Richard Curtis' films. It's an interesting way of how affections are displayed. Very kind of... I think that makes them seem more um, idealised because, again, I'm going to draw from Edward Scissorhands here. There's an awkwardness to... It's not very smooth and suave, you know what I'm saying. It's a little bit rough around the edges. And this imperfect love is kind of interesting and more real. I think that's why, again, I've talked about this loads already, but why we see his films as maybe more genuine. Because love is a main aspect of his films, but he also deals with love in interesting, different ways. And that's part of the charm, and I think that's why people enjoy these films. But yeah, there's definitely a self-consciousness to this film in particular because we have the stakes, which it's really good when the stakes are tied to the main theme and they are, you know, she doesn't want to be spotted, she doesn't want to lose her career. Well, she doesn't want to lose her career, but you know what I'm saying. There's a few things going on, she doesn't want to hurt anyone and the further it goes, the more likely those things will happen. So there is stakes and also there's kind of the stake of an ordinary life and the contrast between ordinary and celebrity and celebrity is seen as more of a negative thing in this film which is valid of course but we have the brownie scene where where julia roberts tries to get a brownie and she says that you know she's had plastic surgery she's had people be horrible to her she had people use her and they don't expect it they kind of romanticize her so much that when she walks through that door she's already perfect before she's said anything and she's they expect her to be horrible as well when she's just a person so it's kind of a bit of a dehumanization but in those scenes behind closed doors and doors are quite important in this as well we have a lot of doors we have like the doors of the flats the doors of the houses and we always see a door closing behind the characters as they walk in we have the door of the travel bookshop so we have like these intimate places where you can be vulnerable with people we have oh the restaurant scene where you know they're inside the restaurant and no one's there but it's kind of like their own space and the door is in the shop it's kind of like you're seeing into other people's lives and there's a fascination and novelty with seeing into the lives of people who are celebrities does in fact fulfill that desire as our main one of our main characters is a film star and we see her having a more authentic way of life in Notting Hill. Yeah, so I think it this definitely plays to the screen and I think that this couldn't be a play, if that makes sense. It would only work on the screen and it was specifically written for the screen in that way. And I really like it when films do that, actually. I respect it because it it kind of, it has the whole of cinema history behind it. It's a nice homage to the screen. At the end of the film, we have like the whole thing where they give him a lift to her to see her before she goes to like declare his love or whatever and you know they're going through traffic they're stopping the traffic they're being absolute idiots but they're doing that in public whereas before we were seeing that personality of people doing that behind closed doors so i think another message of this film is to declare love in a crazy way and not be afraid and be courageous with it again these are the messages that come through in a lot of these films and that's nice okay so now i'm gonna talk about the acting so as i've said about hugh grant i actually do respect 
this in this film, although I don't necessarily like his character. They can be very different things. What else I wanted to talk about? So I wanted to just talk about as well the performances in this because one thing I do love about Richard Curtis films as much as I have interesting ideas about them, they always centre on humanity and people and the acting is usually really good. Julia Roberts, I really love her in this. Apparently she was the only choice for the role, which makes perfect sense. She kind of, already she is Julia Roberts, of course, so everyone's going to know her as a big name. And this film nicely takes the persona of her public image already and kind of turns into a nice, rounded human character, which is really nice. Although, although, this film is definitely from the male perspective, which means that I probably would have liked more of her life to kind of not be the reason for William saving her for example but that's my preference and obviously this film is written directed by men so there it is again okay let's talk about everyone else because there's so many people in this film and everyone does oh yeah it just really works that's one thing I will say apparently my computer thinks I smoke because loads of stop smoking things keep going up so I don't know where they're up from Spike, played by Reese Fenns. I love him. He's so good. He always adds a bit of absurdity to his roles and Spike felt very scarily, crazily real. I really love that. Out there, kind of oddball. Again, Richard Curtis, he loves that kind of stuff. And perfectly, he perfectly contrasts Hugh Grant's character and I love that for them because... I don't know, there's a lot of contrast in this film, but yet it seems to work together. And again, the setting of the film being in London, being in Notting Hill, just, it does wrap it all up really nicely. Who else do I like in this film? Obviously, returning alumni of Movies on My Mind podcasts, Tim McKinney was in Casanova. He is in Notting Hill and plays a character called Max. I really like the kind of family of it's Hugh Grant's character's kind of sister and friends and I really like how they kind of all get on it feels like they have had that conversation over dinner many times it feels very natural and very real even the vulnerability because there's moments where it's kind of like comedic and then it all of a sudden goes quite low and there's a little bit of sadness mixed in the pot but the vulnerability doesn't necessarily seem out of place which is therefore you know that it's not been put there on purpose to be like this is now a sad moment quotations it is it kind of naturally blends itself like that I really like that and you can see the different sides of the characters so you see how they what's really great is actually having Anna's character being this famous person you get to see the two sides of the characters so you get to see how they present themselves to strangers to other people in the film to the outside world but then you kind of see them be vulnerable and be human and kind of do things without judgment again it's all in the kind of actions what people are doing there's a lot of that in the houses and the set where obviously everything is does feel really real because we see the we see the actors in the set we see them moving around as if they're their real houses you know there's a lot of things like I said that Hugh Grant does to show that you know this is his character but also it shows that he could live there you know what I'm saying and Again, it's very different to, say, Julia Roberts, who we often see her, like, in a hotel and things like that. So you'd see the contrast between that authenticity and maybe the kind of imposter outsider status that Anna will 
Anna's character kind of starts with and that's nice that we see that and it's not being hidden because it feels like obviously it feels nice that we're not alienated by this and we're not alienated by her world we are obviously to a point but we can see her real person within it which again is quite a difficult thing to do because she could come off as a character that people don't like and that is it's really important that you make people like her and I think of course Julia Roberts was the one for the role because she does that really well okay who else who else um Ember Chambers as Honey as Hugh Grant's sister I really like her in this again really fits the oddball kind of clan she has the right kind of a a right kind of um kind of out there and she matches with Spike's character as well and what I really like about these films and the kind of ensemble that they create is that they have kind of this difference and this kind of uniqueness but it's not in your face I feel like sometimes uh, writers and in films they're just like okay we need some interesting people and they throw them in your face or there's too many of them and they clash and it just doesn't gel whereas I feel like a lot of work was put into making sure that everybody and everyone's character equally shines on their own which definitely happened when we have like ensemble stuff going on and it's not necessarily I think the original cut was really long but the actual film is not really crazily I don't even know how long it is. Let's have a look. What does it say? Two hours and four minutes. It's not crazily long. So, you know, it's really lovely how those kind of characters and that humanity can be fit into that amount of time. So I really respect that, definitely. But yeah, so I'm a little bit iffy about Richard Curtis. I respect, but again, so he's a man. Is that it? I think it's that. that's it. <laughs> he's a man. I mean, I'd love a female version of Richard Curtis because... <laughs> I don't know. I think it's so interesting coming from a male perspective, but wouldn't these films be different? It's totally different if they came from a woman's perspective. I often think that now. And this is, that's the what part that loses me in this film, which again, I can't blame because I didn't make it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's an interesting exploration of celebrity and kind of a man's dream, as well as making sure that you do it justice in the fact that you obviously it's a woman as well being the celebrity but being able to clearly not objectify her but humanize her and I think that's very difficult when you're given a subject matter and a kind of idea where a lot of the time men go to the cinema and you know see a woman on screen and like and objectify her you know all the the cameras already objectifying her so it's nice how we got the humanity here first there is a scene where Hugh Grant's character again there's some men who are openly very strongly objectifying um, Anna not knowing that she's there her being a you know topic of conversation and Hugh Grant goes up to them and is like that's not very nice don't say that about her or whatever and they kind of like laugh at him and then and then you know she comes up and it's like sorry and they shut up and they're like oh my god can I have an autograph so it was a it's a fine line I think this film does successfully not objectify her but you very easily could if that makes sense it doesn't necessarily shy too much away from the fact that people do already do that but it, again it's a fine line and I'm not saying this film does it majorly successfully uh, but it does mostly. Anyway, that's just my opinion. I love the aesthetic of this film. I love the music. This is definitely a comfort 
film to watch uh, when you want to be nostalgic and when you want some 90s fashion ideas definitely go for this one um yeah it's just kind of sweet and pretty simple the way it's kind of planned out and nice and predictable as well (laughs) in a good way but yeah so that was Notting Hill and it was a crazy podcast to record because I recorded like three different times so I apologize for the crazy stuff I've been saying (laughs) but yeah so don't forget to follow me on Instagram at movies on my mind pod and TikTok I will be trying to make more TikToks. That is my mission, my mission to do that. And then obviously join me next week for another film. Not completely decided, but a Stardust episode is coming. So if you're someone who wanted the Stardust episode but didn't get one this week, don't worry, I'm going to make one. I don't care if people don't want to see it. Watch it, listen to it, watch out for that one. That might come out as a bonus one. I don't know, not too sure yet, but I will get another film idea out soon. So, of course, hope you enjoyed. I'm sorry for the butchering of this whole film, if you thought it was like that, but I'm sorry. But anyway, until next time. 